This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Ralph, I always enjoy it when you read Scripture. By the way, I see that your bride there, Gert, is sitting with you. Gert's had a, a bout with some illness, but she's uh, on the mend, doing much better. We missed you, and it's great to see you back, Gert. So welcome, welcome to that. Hey, I want to start uh, this morning's message um, with a story from a friend of mine. He was talking to his teenage son, and uh, after the conclusion of the conversation, he said, okay. It was good talking with you. I'll see you on the flip side. Anybody have ever heard that expression? Uh, his son said, flip side? What, what's that mean, Dad? And he said, well, son, back in the day when um, people used to listen to records, uh, there was uh, one side of the record that had a song on it, then there was a second side. You'd turn the record over, and it was called the flip side. And they would listen to the flip side. And his son looked at him, kind of puzzled. And after a, a minute or so of silence, he said, Dad, what's a record? <laughs> okay, true story. Uh, we live in a time in which technology is increasing faster and faster. And our memories go back. And for some of us, we, we don't even remember the days of, of vinyl. Although I understand those things are becoming popular again. And there are stores now that... Uh, have those for sale, and the old turntables are coming back. But uh, I remember back in a time uh, when there was just black and white TV. And uh, the shows, there were a few of them. There were lots of reruns. And as a small boy growing up in Los Angeles, um, where there was lots of media available, um, I found myself more interested in radio. And in those days... Uh, we would carry with us a, a transistor radio made by a company called Sony, okay? And uh, we would listen to AM radio. This is really before the days when FM took off. And I can remember listening to Vince Scully and the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, there you go, Lori, on, uh, on the radio. Uh, listening to uh, AM radio stations with different radio personalities. But I think it was back then that I really developed my interest in talk radio. 
uh, because in those days, it was kind of the early days of talk radio. And I would, as a, even as a boy, would just listen and want to be caught up on current events and hear discussions and people would call in. And, and uh, I just found that fascinating. I still do, by the way. Uh, I enjoy listening to radio and I enjoy listening to, to talk radio, although it's not as civil today as it was back then. Um, I still enjoy listening to that. But I remember one of my favorite um, segments each day was at noon. Um, there was a radio personality. His name was Paul Harvey. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? Okay. Uh, back in the day, Paul uh, was a radio personality. He was a, a commentator. And he had um, a syndicated, I don't know what you would call it. It was like a five-minute uh, little part at the noon news. It was called The Rest of the Story. And what he would do is he would highlight stories from history or stories of famous people or people's lives that you might not know about. And they would always start out uh, one way, but they would end another way. And frequently it was a, a situation that was really bleak and there wasn't a lot of hope, but it always ended with something good happening or something unexpected happening. Or it was a, a person, a personality, maybe a person from history, uh, maybe a, a, a person from the current day. And uh, what are we doing here? Good, thank you. All right. And uh, what he would do, it, he'd highlight their life. And oftentimes, um, a hardship, a difficulty, a mistake that they had made, things seemed uh, nearly hopeless. And he'd tell that part of the story. Then there'd be a commercial break. And he'd advertise some kind of um, product. And then he'd come back and he'd continue with the story. And at the end of the story, it always had some uplifting, edifying, encouraging ending. And he would say this. He would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Do you remember that? I just love listening to those. Well, you know, the Bible uh, is filled with uh, examples of the rest of the story. Do you know that? Examples of the lives of men and women whose lives started one way, oftentimes in failure, with mistakes, uh, in difficult circumstances, but they end up in another way, uh, full of these rest of the stories. I love them. They're all through Scripture. So what I, would, what I thought we would do uh, is for the next few weeks here in June, we're going to start a series, you see it on the screen, called The Rest of the Story. And we're going to look at the lives of some people from the Scripture that started one way but ended in a completely different way. And we're going to highlight them. And hopefully as we highlight them and as we hear about the rest of their stories, uh, we can look at our own lives. And we can see that our lives have value, they have purpose, uh, that God is intimately acquainted with our lives, with the details of our lives. Uh, we were created by God, for God. He has a purpose for our lives. And even when things seem to be going in a direction, in a way that's unplanned, even when we face adversity, even when we make mistakes or we fail, um, that, that doesn't change God. That God's present, He's available, and He takes our lives, and as we submit ourselves to Him, the good and the difficulties of our lives, we submit them to the Lord, 
He weaves them into the greater narrative of His story. And so our stories become a part of God's greater story. And the thing I love about God's greater story is it's a story of redemption, isn't it? And how God takes our lives and He redeems us. And we enter into relationship with Him. And as we do that, we become more and more acquainted with Him of His love and His purpose for our lives. And and as we walk through life, even though we stumble, the Lord upholds us. He upholds us. And when we make mistake and we get off course, He redirects us and He encourages us. And so I hope that this series called The Rest of the Story will be an encouragement to you. Now, if you hadn't listened to Paul Harvey and if you hadn't heard one of the rest of the stories, let me give you an example of what one might have sounded like. Thomas Edison is often credited with, what, inventing the light bulb. But what a lot of people don't know is that during that time, there were others working uh, to accomplish the same thing. In fact, uh, there was a scientist in Europe who had actually created um, what would become the light bulb, but the problem was it wouldn't stay lit very long, just for brief amounts of time, and then it wouldn't work. And so Edison continued to work, he continued to work, he continued to work, and he came up with a prototype of what we know today as the light bulb. And this is a a picture, an example of of one of uh, the early light bulbs, one of the uh, light bulbs that Edison invented. And what a lot of people don't understand is that he had uh, a laboratory, and in that laboratory there were several people that would work alongside of him. And in the beginning, it would take literally 24 hours, 24 hours to manufacture one light bulb. And oftentimes, uh, he and his team would work hour upon hour, taking uh, brief breaks, often no breaks at all, um, to complete a single light bulb. And so the story goes that on one of these occasions, after several hours of manufacturing a light bulb, he handed the bulb to a young boy who was also working in his laboratory. And he said, son, take this bulb upstairs to another part of the laboratory. And so the boy, understanding uh, the precious nature of what he was called to do and what he had in his hand, focused on the light bulb and not dropping it as he walked up the stairs. One step, a second step, a third step, to the place where he had almost arrived at the second floor of the laboratory. And what do you think happened? He was so focused on the light bulb that was in his hand that he stumbled on the last couple of steps and the light bulb slipped out of his hand and shattered on the floor. I mean, can you imagine how he must have felt? Can you imagine what that, that team around Edison, what they were thinking, let alone what Edison might have thought? Um, certainly, he felt like he had let Edison down. You can only imagine the shame, the disappointment. He, he probably wanted just to cry and run off somewhere and hide. Wouldn't you think? But here's the rest of the story. Okay. The rest of the story is the team 
after a break, went to work again, and after about 24 more hours of hard work, they, what, manufactured another light bulb. Now that light bulb needed to be carried back up the stairs to the second part of the laboratory. And um, of course, we would never expect it. If you or I were Edison, we would want to make sure that that light bulb was placed in the hands of someone reliable. After all, that, that young boy had dropped and destroyed the, the first light bulb. But what do you think Edison did? Much to everyone's surprise, he called that boy. And he said, here, son, I want you to take this light bulb upstairs. And he placed it in the boy's hand. And he gave him the opportunity, a second chance, as you will, to take the light bulb upstairs and to successfully complete the task, which he did. And Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Now, I want you to think about a time in your life when you have let someone down, a time in your life when you might have failed someone, a time in your life when you made a mistake or maybe you've made several mistakes, a time in your life when you have failed, maybe you have failed greatly. The good news is this, that like Edison with a young boy, we who are in relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, have good news. And the good news is this, that with God, there is always an opportunity for the rest of the story. Because God's story is a story of redemption. God's story is a story of Him working His sovereign plan out in our lives to become a part of His plan, to serve His purposes. And so that if you're sitting here today and you say, man, I identify with the boy in the story of Thomas Edison, the good news is this, that yes, you may have fumbled a light bulb in your life. Uh, you may have made great mistakes. You may be in the midst right now of what you consider to be a failure. But you need to know this, that your life has intimate value to God. And that even though sometimes we feel all alone, even sometimes we isolate ourselves following a mistake or a failure or when we've disappointed somebody, the good news is, is that God is there, that He's present, that He doesn't give up on you or on me. And that with God, there's always the opportunity for the rest of the story. Now, in our passage today, we're going to be looking at a young man named John Mark. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, we read about a story there in verse beginning in verse 36, where Paul and Barnabas, having earlier completed their first missionary journey, were getting ready to go on a second missionary journey to travel back to some of the places that they had already been, uh, to bring encouragement uh, to those new communities of followers of Jesus Christ. And as they were talking about, and as they were planning that trip, Barnabas says, hey, uh, let's bring John Mark with us. After all, John Mark was with us on our first trip. And Paul says, absolutely not. No way. And it, and it talks in that passage about how there was such a disagreement. It was a, a really sharp disagreement between 
Paul and Barnabas that actually they, they separated. And instead of going with Barnabas, our passage tells us that Paul selects Silas. And Paul and Silas go on what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. And Barnabas, well, he insists on staying with John Mark. And he and John Mark go off and they minister together. Now it's interesting, in the midst of this great dispute here in the early church among um, two very significant leaders, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, and Barnabas, even there is a dispute that's so sharp, that's so great, that leads to them separating. Isn't it interesting that God still works it out? Uh, and in a way that no one could ever expect, um, there are now two teams going out, sharing the good news of the gospel rather than one. And so why, why would Paul um, be in such disagreement with Barnabas? Well, we know that somewhere on the first missionary journey, John Mark left them. Uh, he went back to Jerusalem. He headed for home. Now, now, we don't know why that is. Um, some say that he may have been homesick. Others suggest that uh, it was a great and difficult uh, trip. Uh, there were lots of physical adversities. There were uh, also a spiritual adversity. And that it was just too difficult for him. That he couldn't, he couldn't hang. So he left them. Others still suggest that perhaps uh, John Mark wasn't feeling well that he was ill and didn't have the stamina to complete the trip. And then finally, others suggest that uh, John Mark had made some mistakes. He hadn't performed the way he should in certain situations and that uh, he was reprimanded uh, by Paul. And, and maybe he didn't like that. Maybe at that point of his life, he wasn't teachable. Uh, he wasn't correctable. Uh, and so he just said, you know what? I'm done with this. I've had enough. And he left. So we really don't know why. Uh, the Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, there are aspects of the trip uh, that may give us clues and insights into what could have happened. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is on that first trip, John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas. He didn't complete the trip. We do know that. And there's something interesting about him. Uh, something you may or may not be acquainted with. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 14, if we can put that up. When we read about the arrest of Jesus, there is a passage that many people gloss over and they lose the significance of it. But it says, uh, this is uh, after they had come uh, to arrest Jesus and all the, the disciples uh, were scattering and had abandoned him. You find this verse, Mark 14, 51. It's very peculiar. This, this one reference to this young boy, and this is what it says. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Isn't that an interesting passage? Why would that be there? Who would even know about this young man? And why would it be so significant that you would place that in the arrest narrative in one of the Gospels? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
there are a lot of commentators who strongly believe that that young man was the author of the gospel, Mark. You see, the disciples and the early followers of Jesus uh, met in Jerusalem in a home, and we know in uh, uh, the story of Jesus' arrest that they had been meeting in a place called the Upper Room. And uh, many believe that that Upper Room uh, is in the house of Mark's mother named Mary. Okay? And that at the time of Jesus' arrest, uh, when he was betrayed, they had met there. And that's likely where the Last Supper had taken place. And so the authorities would have first gone there looking for Jesus. Not finding him there, then they go to the garden, right? Where Jesus had been praying and his disciples had been present. And where we find out that he gets arrested. And so here's what some speculate. That the disciples often frequently met in Mark's house, the house of his mother, Mary. And on this occasion, after he was betrayed by Judas, the officials initially might have gone to that house where they had been meeting for the Last Supper. Okay? And they went there initially and they didn't find Jesus there. And so they left looking for him. And so what they speculate is this young boy, Mark, would have hurriedly got dressed. Uh, maybe he was in his night clothing, or maybe he just had enough time to, to wrap a, a sheet or some loose article of covering around him, and he went out following after them. And he was there from a distance watching everything, watching Jesus' arrest. And when all the other disciples were fleeing and leaving the scene, that he was identified along with them, and they tried to seize him. And they grabbed a hold of him, but the garments that he was wearing were so loose that he slipped out and actually, as it says here, ran off naked. Okay? So now if this is true, we're beginning to, to get a composite of who John Mark was, at least in his early years. Now imagine, he wasn't the only one, but he counted himself possibly as among those who had abandoned Jesus. And so he had a history, didn't he? He had a history. Things were tough. He saw the other disciples. They all abandoned Jesus. He fled. He barely got away. Now I'll tell you why he might have put that in there later on. And so here we are now, later on, and he's on the first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul, along with Barnabas. By the way, uh, Barnabas, uh, which means uh, the son of encouragement, is Mark's cousin. Okay? There's a relationship there. And they're on this first missionary journey, and for whatever reason, we don't know what that reason is, what happens again? He flees. He abandons the Apostle Paul. And so now we see a young man who's developing a reputation among those around him. He quite possibly was the boy who was following those who were arresting Jesus, and he fled, and he abandoned Jesus. And now he's with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey, and he does the same thing over again. You know what we call that? We call that a reputation, don't we? There he is, 
And there's such a dispute that Paul and Barnabas separate over it. But now I want to tell you the rest of the story. Okay? Here's the rest of the story. Later on in Scripture, as Paul is writing, in particular, uh, his prison epistles. Now, these are things that he wrote in his first arrest in time under house arrest in Rome. Okay? And he writes several churches in several letters. Among them are letters to the Colossians. He, he writes another letter uh, to uh, someone called Philemon about a runaway slave named Onesimus. And there's some other prison epistles that Paul wrote during that first house arrest in Rome. But we see later on as we read through Paul's writings that something happened in Mark's life. That there must have been a transformation because this young man who had abandoned Paul on his first missionary journey, who quite possibly is the young boy spoken of in the Gospel of Mark that had fled and abandoned Jesus at the point of Jesus' arrest, now is referred to and looked at in a completely different light. So let's look here. Let's say uh, Colossians chapter 4, I believe verse 10. Uh, Paul is talking about his fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, uh, sends you his greeting, as does who? What's the name there? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So somewhere along the line, there's reconciliation. Somewhere along the line, there are changes that takes place in Mark's life and his relationship to Paul to the point where Paul would recommend him to others. Okay? There's redemption there that takes place. That even though he had made some mistakes, even though there had been a a reputation that had been developed, the rest of the story is this. That God was at work in Mark's life. And that even though there were some early mistakes that he made, there's a rest of the story. And Paul here in, in Colossians is actually commending Mark. He's saying, listen, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. So now he has Paul's endorsement. And now, here's another passage. Philemon's, uh, Philemon, uh, verse 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting. As do who? Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so Paul is writing this slaveholder named Philemon about a household slave who had run away named Onesimus. And he's saying, you know what? He who is of no use to you is now of use to you and also use to me. And he's pleading Onesimus's case to be taken back and welcomed back. And isn't it ironic in a, in a story about this runaway slave where he's trying to get the slaveholder to receive Onesimus back, to receive him and understand he's valuable and he's useful to the cause of the gospel, he mentions Mark's name. Because the exact same thing happened. Mark had fled and run away from Paul on that first missionary journey. 
But there was a transformation that took place in Mark's life. And now, Paul is endorsing and mentioning the one who had abandoned him in a letter to a slaveholder about one of his slaves who had abandoned the slaveholder. Isn't that ironic? That the same encouragement to be reconciled, uh, to give a second chance to someone who had failed, to someone who had fled, right? Paul, by his own example, did that very same thing to Mark. And so here we see an example of someone who is walking the talk. They're practicing what they're preaching. Because he's encouraging Philemon, in the case of Onesimus, to do the same thing that Paul had done in his relationship with Mark and reconciling that. Now, I I don't make allusion. I didn't uh, put this up here. But there's also another passage which is very interesting. It's 1 Peter 5.13. And in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter is writing. And at the end of his letter, he's giving greetings and he's mentioning people. And you find in that passage, he, he gives greetings from Mark, his son. He refers to him as his son. And so we see that Mark was not only valuable to Paul, there had been reconciliation, there had been growth. He obviously had been given another chance. But we see that he was like a son to Peter. And Peter mentions that. And so what do we take from all of this? Well, first of all, we take that failure doesn't have to be fatal. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. Actually, failure can be a great teacher, can't it? If we take our failure and we sit at the feet of our Lord. Because He can teach us. He can help us. He can redeem us. And that mistakes don't have to define us. Mistakes don't have to define us. In the case of John Mark, or Mark as he was known, Mistakes informed who he would ultimately become. But it was how he overcame his mistakes that defined him. Do you see that? So very important. That's a good lesson for our lives. Maybe you're in a place where uh, you reflect on your mistakes. There are things you remember. There are things you regret. Well, those things don't have to define us. How we overcome them. Where we find the Lord in them. How God can use those in our life in a redemptive way, as we'll see here in the life of um, Mark. That's really what matters. Uh, One has said, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. It's how you finish. And we see here in the life of Mark that he finished well. The third thing is the power of encouragement. Now, isn't it interesting that when Saul became a follower of Jesus and becomes the Apostle Paul, who is the person that took Paul under his wing? Who introduced him to the followers of Jesus in the church in Jerusalem? Who was that person? You remember who that was? Barnabas. Okay? The son of encouragement. And who is the person that took Mark, his cousin, under his wing? And stuck with him. Even when others said, I've had enough, he's not trustworthy, he's failed, he has a reputation. When the going gets tough, man, he flees. 
he abandons. Who is that person? Barnabas. You know, we all need a Barnabas in our lives, don't we? It's the power of encouragement. We all need a Barnabas in our life, but we all have the opportunity to be a Barnabas. And all the difference that encouragement makes. You know, it's not enough to have someone say, you can do it. You can do it. Because the truth be known, there are times when we feel like we, we can't do it. And someone can say, you can do it over and over and over again. Luke, you can do it. You can come to this place called Eagle River, Alaska. You can intern in the youth and college department. And you can do well. You can do it. But sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes there's doubt. Sometimes there are previous failings or mistakes that we don't know about. And so it's not enough to say to a person, you can do it. But the encouragement that you and I need in our lives is more than you can do. You know what that encouragement is? And I'm certain this is the encouragement that Barnabas gave to young John Mark. You may not be able to do it. In fact, your life demonstrates that you can't. But here's the good news. Christ can do it in you and through you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that's the encouragement that you and I need. That even when we feel like we can't do it, we have a hard time believing that we can do it, the good news is, and the encouragement that we need to receive is, but you know something? Christ can do it in you. Christ can do it through you. Christ can make sure that there's the rest of the story. And here's the rest of the story. Mark, who lived under the influence of, of Barnabas, he lives under the influence of Paul, and he lives under the influence of Peter. Three giants in the early church. This young man has the opportunity to have exposure and relationship with them. And he learns something for, from each of them. But it's, it's that last relationship that I want to I close with here. It's a relationship with Peter. Again, 1 Peter 5.13 where Peter refers to Mark as his son. It's believed by scholars that the Gospel of Mark, the, the Gospel that we have, written by Mark, really is a recounting of Peter's remembrance and story about his time with Jesus. That Mark and Peter became so close and Peter spent so much time or excuse me, with, with Mark that the Gospel really is informed by Peter. And, and Mark is, is, is the writer. Okay? Now, why would it be important that in that Gospel, in 1451, he would put that story in about that young boy who fleed Jesus' arrest, ran off naked after his garment was snatched from him? I believe the likelihood is that is Mark. And why would he put it there? Because... Why is Mark writing this gospel? When is he writing it? He's writing it at a time when there begins to be persecution on the followers of Jesus from the empire of Rome. Okay? And he's writing it to believers who are looking at the persecution, at the challenges, at the adversity, at the difficulties that they're facing. And they're thinking, man, what do we do here? Do we stick with it or do we flee? Do we stand up for Christ or do we shrink back? Okay, what are we going to do? And here is Mark, one 
who likely was present when Jesus was arrested and fled, one who went with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey and fled. Now, years later, as one who has grown and matured, one who has proven himself worthy, one who has demonstrated that that Christ at work in a person's life can do amazing things, he's writing to people as he writes this gospel about the story of Jesus, but the story of those who are his followers. And he wants to remind them that, you know what? I get it. I understand. At my time, when I had to stand up, man, I fled. But you don't have to. Because even though you don't think you can, Christ can in you. The power of Christ, the Holy Spirit at work in your life. There can be a rest of the story. And so, there's the rest of the story. When it's all said and done, here is John Mark writing the Gospel of Mark, using his own life as an example to those who are challenged with great adversity and the temptation to flee. And that's the rest of the story. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling and maybe you made mistakes, maybe you have failed or in the midst of a failure, maybe you've let someone down, maybe you feel like you've let God down. The good news is with God there's always the rest of the story. And He can take even your mistakes and He can redeem them and use them and flip them in a way that you can't or no one else can. In a way that can have impact and meaning as God weaves the narrative of your life into His divine narrative and His plan of redemption. That you would fulfill His purpose to be a witness. That your life might be a testimony to the love of God. His power to redeem and His strength to help us recover from times when we've struggled, struggled and stumbled. That's good news, isn't it? This morning, as the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you. If you need encouragement this morning, one of the ways to have it is is through prayer. Natalie's back there at the prayer station. She's waiting. Don't hesitate. Go back. Be prayed for. Receive encouragement. And as you do that, know the good news is that God's not finished with any of us yet. That His power and His strength to redeem us, even if we missed our mistakes, uh, is greater than our ability to mess up and to fail. And that's the rest of the story.